0: scripture scripture reading today is taken from Romans chapter 7 Romans chapter 7 verse 1 to 6 or do you not know brothers for I'm speaking to those who know the law that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives for a married man woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives but if her husband dies she is released from the law of marriage accordingly she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive but if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another man, another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, have died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code.
1: Thank you, Lai Kien, for reading God's Word for us this morning. As you probably have guessed, this is a challenging passage, and we are again, after a week's break, returning to our series uh, that we have called Grace Together. As the Brothers are gonna try and get this, there we are. This uh, is a challenging passage, so I would like to invite us to once again bow together and go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Father God, there are many things about which we can disagree. We don't support the same football clubs. We disagree on those that are worthy of our attention. We don't even agree on what comfort is. Some of us here right now are cold. Others of us are warm. But God, though we don't agree on many things, we do agree on this. Your Word is authority. So help us, O God, in these moments to bend our hearts and, yes, even our wills to Your Word. Open it to us Make it clear to us and find in us men and women who would long to follow what we have heard so that we might know the pleasure of the God of life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you may recall, if you have been here since the beginning of this year, that we're in this series called Grace Together, and the question really is, how can we be together and live with one another in grace. The Roman church was a divided church. They came from diverse backgrounds. The original church plant was made up of Jewish believers who had come from Jerusalem. They were called the diaspora, those who were scattered, who were looking for protection. And so they gathered first In Rome, as believing Jews, and then they were pushed out of Rome by the emperor. When they came back, they found that their church was repopulated by non-Jewish Christians who came from a different background, and they were a little bit, yes, suspicious of these outsiders. And so, the church was divided. This is why we have the letter of Romans because if you're going to be all together, first, you need to believe the same thing all together. Then secondly, how do, even while believing the same thing all together, can we live together as God intends us to do? Uh, this is a mugshot of the infamous American crime boss, James Bolger. James Bolger came from a good family. It produced a family of leaders. In fact, James Bolger's brother, William, was the leader of the Massachusetts State Senate. But James himself was the leader of the Winter Hill Gang. He was a criminal who saw himself as a man of high integrity. He had his moral standards. He boasted that though he had killed 19 men, He was better than most criminals because he didn't kill any women or or, or children. He was a crime boss with a certain moral standard. He felt good about himself, but he was still living with this belief that somehow he could live above the law, and so he was all his life pursued by the law. In fact, for 12 years, he was number two on the FBI's most wanted list until May of 2006, when Osama bin Laden became dead to the law, and he rose to number one. He was number one on the most wanted list until October 30th of last year, when Bolger himself became dead to the law. A young hitman trying to make an image for himself, a name for himself, committed a crime, waited for the police to get there, and he was put in the same prison. And there, he caused this man, James Whitey Bulger, to be dead to the law. So, this morning, we are looking at what it means, first of all, to live under the rule of the law. Even though a man like James Bulger who felt that he was powerful, who had a huge crime family that would do whatever he said, even though he felt he could live above the law, in the end he was pursued by the law, captured by the law, until he was dead to the law. Finally, he was living beyond the law, dead. So what does it mean to live under the rule of the law? Beginning in verse 1, this is what the apostle writes, "'Or do you not know, brothers?' For I am speaking of those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now, there's a temptation for us to assume right now that he's just talking to the Jewish believers, that the Jewish believers were full of this religious arrogance because they had the law. So we look at this text in the English translation and we just assume that he's identifying only the Jewish believers. Only they have got the problem. Everybody else is fine. But that's not what he's really saying because in the original language there is no definite article there. In other words, there, there is no there or the there. It's just not in there. That means he's speaking to whatever law you're following. For the Jewish believers, it's the first five books of our Bible, preserved for us. It's called the Torah in Jewish Scripture. It is the Jewish law. For some of them, it was that law. But they were also living in the seat of secular law. They were living in Rome. And in Rome, secular law said that Caesar is Lord, not Jesus So whether or not you're following Jewish law or secular law, or maybe some of them were former pagans who are just simply following the law of their own conscience, whatever law you're following, you're going to be living under that law until you're dead. It's one of the first lessons we try to teach our children, right? Every one of us has authority over them. I remember saying this to my oldest son even your daddy lives under authority. I'm not my own boss. And and likely, if you haven't taught your children that they all live under authority, then you're probably exhausted right now. Sorry to talk about my children, but they're exhausted because they've somehow believed in their generation that they should ask their children what they want to eat. You want hot dogs? No. You want nuggets? No. You know, they're just exhausted because they're not yet training their children that we all of us live under authority. I remember very clearly, it was a Sunday morning, that's why I remember it, when I went to my father with my newly formed worldview and told him according to the law that I was now living under, 17-year-olds, no need to follow the parents to church anymore. I will never forget my father's response. First of all, he crossed his arms over his chest. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in Western culture, if you cross your arms over your stomach, that means something here, either too big or, or, or uncomfortable. But if you cross your arms over your chest, that means something's going to happen outside. Follow me out there. So right away, it was a bit threatening, my father standing in my bedroom door like this. And then he said, hmm, so do you like living here? <laughs> Which made me really nervous because it was very clear that the accent of that sentence was on the word living. Do you like living here, one thing was going to change. Either I was going to go outside and die, or I was going to change my here. No choice. We all live under authority. And, and why? Notice this in verse 2. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law, the law of marriage. Now, I I found this painting from one of my favorite artists. It's actually a Russian artist. Uh, You can uh, Google him, Konstantin Makovsky. He does beautiful artwork, and this just happens to be a Jewish wedding dinner, or they call it reception, receiving the guests for the wedding. And here's why this is important. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, then she's not an adulteress. So let me just be clear. Because a lot of us believe exactly the wrong things because we take Scripture out of context in order to believe what we think To prove what we already believe about anything in life. Let me be clear. This is not a text about divorce. This is a text about law. So don't be going around trying to find who your friend is divorced or not. This is not about divorce. Just so you know, in ancient Jewish law, in fact, any ancient religion that I've discovered... Women could not divorce. Divorce was only for men. You, you notice the Apostle Paul says, so, so if he lives with another woman, then he's wrong. No, it's not about him. It's about her because the point is women had law that men didn't have. Sorry, ladies. When did that change? It changed with Jesus. But this is a point not about divorce, not about marriage, it's about living under a law until you're just dead, or somebody's dead. Because if you notice in this this picture, this amazing painting, everybody's fairly happy in this painting, right? Except who? The bride. Because she has just been given away. Her ownership has changed. And, and there's one other person that's not happy either. It's her little sister thinking, oh man, this is going to happen to me too. <laughs> divorce didn't apply to men. The law of divorce only applied to women. Men could divorce. That's not Paul's point. The point is the law Whatever law you are under has dominion over us until we are dead. That's it. And that is why he moves on then to talk about the fruit of bondage, meaning this relationship, this marriage, remember marriage to the law, is going to bear fruit just like the first marriage, God's expectation was, be what? Fruitful and multiply. If you're married to something, and his illustration is whatever law you're living under, you're married to it now. That law, that marriage is going to produce something, some fruit. So before we go into the specific fruit of the law, The specific fruit of grace. What is the consequence then? What is the reason for Paul's jarring marriage illustration? He begins with this word likewise. Which means he's moving from illustration, which was the marriage. It was an illustration. It was not, here's the rules. It is, let me tell you an illustration to application. Likewise... My brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. When Christ bore the wrath of all of my sin, when He was crucified, I was, when I embraced that sacrifice, crucified with Him. I then became dead to the law that demanded that I pay the penalty for my own sin. I was then released from that law. Why? So that we can be married to Him. As long as we are married to the law, we cannot be joined to Christ. That is why Christ died for us. Not so that we could gain some new religious law that was better than any other religious law. It's so that we could be gaining a new, powerful relationship with the God and the King of Life. That's what has happened for us. So, can, can I share with you the day that I discovered that a lot of my church members were having an affair it, it was a challenging day for Sherry and I. And, and this was when I was a younger pastor. This was in the early or mid-80s. And, and I was all about surveys. So I prepared a survey. And let, let me just say up front this disclaimer. It really wasn't a scientific survey because I really only gave them three choices. And this was not a church like Grace Baptist Church. You're, you're 60 years old this year. This was a church that was only a few years old. It had died. The church planter had left, and I was asked to come and and take over. So so these were people who were damaged, who were hurting. There was a lot of people who were not yet believers. and, And so here is the survey question I asked them. Which Bible verse most informs your response to personal injustice? In other words, when someone treats you poorly, when someone does you harm, When someone inflicts pain, which Bible verse usually directs your desired response? And again, I only gave them three choices. It's not really that scientific. And there was only 150 responses. The first Scripture verse I gave them is Hezekiah 6.5, which, you know, just for you who are wondering, is not really a Bible verse. I just made it up. And and but I gave them the so-called the text with the verse. So Hezekiah 6 5, which says, These things I knoweth not, meaning I don't know. Thirty of my church members <laughs> chose Hezekiah 6 5. That's how I usually respond. I, I actually I'm not sure how I respond, but so glad it's in the Bible. Yeah. The second choice I gave them was Exodus 21, verses 23 through 24, which says, but if there is harm, then you shall pay. Life for life, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. I'm I'm hurting myself. 97 of my church members wrote, the Scripture that most guides me when people attack me, when someone hurts me, is an eye for an eye. Even after they have embraced Christ, have known the grace and mercy of God, they choose justice over grace. The last choice I gave them, Matthew 5:28 through29, which is quoting Jesus, "You have heard that it was said an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth." But I say to you, do not resist the one who does you evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. 150 people. Twenty-three chose grace. That means in a church of about 150, 97 were flirting with Jesus while still being married to the law. I'm not giving the survey to us today. But you can know who you're married to by your response when people attack you. Do you want vindication? Do you feel moral outrage? Are you offended by the sin you see in them? Friend, you might still be married to another lover whose end is not life. And so, this is the fruit that God in Christ has designed for us. We have been raised, first crucified, raised from the dead in order that we might bear the fruit of God. And you've heard the pastor say, the fruit of God is fruit we don't get from our ancestors. It's not in our genealogy. It's not in our DNA. It's fruit that only God brings about in our life. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, I get none of that from my Scottish immigrant parents, and you don't get it from your parents. I don't get any of that from the religious law that raised me. There is no mercy in my law. There's vindication, there's justice. Do you understand how unjust it is that an innocent man should be crucified for you and me? It's not justice. It's the unusual, glorious grace of God. And if I'm not living toward you and you toward me with that same grace, then that suggests we're still married to that law and just flirting with Jesus. The king of creation will not be a xiao tai. He will not be that other woman. He will just give us what we ask, or He will wreck us. And so this scripture hurts me. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law, exposed by the law, enslaved us. It was at work in our members to bear fruit of what? Death, not life. Death. How tragic it is to live all your life thinking you're better than everyone else, and then dying just like everyone else, and meeting the judge of all things. We often are unaware what Christ has done for us demands total allegiance if we have been raised with him. Let me remind you again of Harrison's diagram. Do you understand that in this diagram, if we're still living by the law, we're still down here, right here at number one, still separated from God. No justification. We're not being sanctified because the law doesn't make us holy, it just makes us guilty. That means we're tracking this way And this way is death. Paul was writing the church at Rome. God has preserved it for us, us, the church in Singapore, to say that is the former way. He has saved us for life, so we are released finally to serve. Verse 6 says, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captives, so that we now, listen, we, what, serve the new way of the Spirit, not the old way of the written code, the written code that leads to guilt and death, the Spirit who gives us daily life. How many of you remember the Sunday that Eugene preached and forgot to wear his wedding ring? Sherry was uh, with our son in, at Purdue, and so as soon as Eugene said, this, this wedding ring signifies a covenant I have with Claire, as soon as he said that, just I reached immediately to my ring to remember. And, and now, by the way, <laughs> not to compare... Um, much of what we get in our wedding ceremony, we, we get from Western culture. And, and so when we talk about the symbolism of the ring, it's all about, I love you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? and, and so, you know, I, I say it. You know, it's a circle, so it's never-ending affection. But in Asian culture, by which we get our wedding covenant, actually, you know, the ring was more about service. If you have a signet on your ring, that means other people serve you, but nothing means we live a covenant of mutual service to one another. That's why the biblical preaching and teaching on marriage is so difficult for both of us, because men were to serve our wives like Christ served the church, which is what? Present them perfect and then die for her. Empty ourselves for our spouse. Marriage was about service. That's why in the beginning of Paul's section on marriage in Ephesians 5, he says this, submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. Wives to your own husbands. Now this is a corrective. Because wives didn't have to submit to every man in her life. Guys, we're just submit to one another in this covenant of service. And and I get the fact today that, you know, ear piercing is a sign that we're a slave to contemporary fads. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I'm not being judgmental because some of you know I had three piercings. But originally, ear piercing was not about being high-fashioned. Piercing was about slavery. In Exodus chapter 21, the Lord says, when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go free. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, my children, I shall not go free, then his master shall bring him to God and he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall be his slave forever. You, you, do you understand that, that that word bore, translated in the Greek Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word is stigma. Stigma. Now, we use stigma as something that is piercing or painful today. Like if I have some like personal dysfunction, like Sherry tells me, don't always talk about ADHD and how you're dyslexic because people will think poorly of you. It's a stigma. If you've got some kind of mental problem, then, then don't talk about it right in Singapore. this is the stigma. It's painful for family members, to have to sit in the congregation, hear the pastor talk about his own dysfunction. But that word means piercing. So the wounds of Christ in the New Testament are called stigmata. Jesus was pierced for us. Now, now this this is going to have a point. And so when the Apostle Paul wrote the Galatian church and, and, and said to them, let no one trouble me for I bear On my body, the marks of Jesus, that's stigmata. I bear on my body the stigmata of Jesus. I have the piercing of Jesus. It's not, he's not saying, so I have been crucified physically just like Jesus was. What he's saying is just like Jesus, the marks, the stigmata, are evidence of joyful, obedient service. Philippians reminds us that Christ was obedient even unto the what? Cross. So, this is the fruit produced by grace. We're released from the deadly dominion of the law so that we may be joined to Christ and joyfully obediently serve him and this is why the apostle paul said stop giving your members to the law because in hebrew culture the parts of the body had symbolic significance the hands represented holy lifestyle what we do that's why the apostle paul said in first timothy 2, 8, I wish that all men in every place raise what kind of hands? Holy hands. It wasn't about, you know, giving the Lord a wave offering and saying, oh, God, you're so awesome. That's how we, you know, give you praise. No, it's say, God, look at my hands. I, I come to you pure. I, I haven't done harm. And the, the, the feet are, are representative of the way we walk, walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. That's why Isaiah 52.7 says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the one who bears good news. Gospeling lifestyle, walking through life, sharing good news. You know when people talk about gossip in the church? It's not because people are walking about sharing good news and we don't want to hear it. It's because our hearts bend toward bad news. We hear it, we believe it, we share it with a passion that belongs to the gospel, not to bad news. And the ears, remember the pierced ear of the servant, is indicative of hearing with obedient hearts. And that's why the Shema, The most important verse in all of Hebrew Scripture is hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's not enough to hear if we have no intention of obeying. Do you get the connection? Luke chapter 9, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me. You know, you, you know, our vision is to be a disciple-making church. And yet we think somehow that piercings, bearing the marks of Christ, oh, that's for like super disciples. If it was only for the apostles, if it's only for Eugene and Ollie, Then why would Jesus say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me? Do you understand where he was going? He was going to the cross. He was obedient to the Father, even unto the cross. I I want to wrap this up. I I wonder if, like me, when I was preparing this message, I felt suddenly, even in the holiness of this church office, that I'd been cheating on Jesus because I was looking for some kind of personal vindication. suddenly my sin wasn't offensive to me but everybody else's was do you how, know how often a pastor has to die to himself every single day you know how often anyone who wishes to follow after jesus must take up his or her cross and follow Every single day. Because the law is a jealous lover. And comes after your heart and after my heart on a daily basis. And so I can't just say the sinner's prayer as a seven-year-old and think I'm done for life. When several of us go over later this afternoon to the national stadium, some of us will have the glorious opportunity to lead a new believer into that prayer, and we are going to tell them, pray this prayer today and tomorrow and the day after. Because until He calls us home, we are not done submitting to joyful obedience. It is piercing. But if that servant says, no, I love my wife and I love my master, I will not go free. Then take him to the Lord and pierce his ear, stigmata. And he will, she will be a servant forever. I want to invite you to bow with me for just a moment. As we go to the Lord in prayer, you may recall that this was our reflection question is there anything in my life that suggests that I'm still married to the law is is there any offense that I'm harboring any hope for personal vindication any moral outrage that bubbles up in your heart. The good news for you, friend, is you're not alone. And that's why God gave us the testimony of Hosea. Hosea, go marry a harlot. It was not for self-actualization. It was just so Hosea could know the heart of God. Because his people were not faithful. Again and again and again. The people of Israel played the harlot. In a thousand years from now, if anybody writes this story, they could say again and again and again, Pastor Ian, ran after the law, and just flirted with Jesus. So if you're here today, and you realize that many people looking at your life might just assume you are religious, then in this holy moment, a loving, holy husband waits to receive you back would you write where you are would you be willing in your heart to cry out to him the God who answers prayers even you don't know how to rightly word would you be willing to say to him today Lord I'm only completely at home with you And this morning, I am coming home. He will receive you with open arms. He will fill you with peace, with joy, even in troubled days. This is the God who lived, died, and rose again so your destiny could be life now and forever. Maybe you're here and and you're actually not even a believer. Maybe you you come because you feel obligated, a friend invited you, or, or you've been following the law of your own conscience that just leaves you feeling guilty as you go to bed and so You felt like some religion would help you, but friend, it will not help you. It has changed the law of your conscience for the law of religion. But if where you are, you would dare reach up, you would find him already here. And you, not here by accident, but drawn not by a friend or a spouse, But drawn by the God of eternity, so that you could hear, He desires to be your life. Would you be willing to die to the old law so that you could be joined to Christ? Then, for the first time in your life, you could pray in your own heart God, I I am coming. I'm coming home to you. Make me yours. Fill up the dead space in my heart. Heal my broken spirit. Turn my grief into joy. So that I might have hope for today and tomorrow and for eternity. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who answers prayer. Even when we don't know what to ask for. You give us what we lack. You do so that, so that Jesus would be obvious in our life, in our home, in our nation, in our world. So we invite you, oh God, exalt Christ in us. Forgive us that we have wandered off. Come and make yourself big in us, that you might be glorified in your church. Do so in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come and lead.